Hello, hello, and welcome, everybody, back for another episode of the Marvel Galaxy Podcast, hosted by yours truly, Evan Cormick. Now, today it's going to be a little bit more of a concise video. I'm on a little bit of a time constraint, but I still wanted to be able to film all of this, uh, you know, in between my classes. I hope you guys enjoyed the last episode, and let's just get right into it. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about The Mandalorian so far, and what I think of the season, as well as The Bad Batch overall, and the kind of wrap-up for both of the finales. So first, since I will probably have a little bit less to talk about when it comes to The Bad Batch, Uh, I will start off with that, and then we'll transition into The Mandalorian. So, with The Bad Batch overall, the very first season when it came out, I really didn't care that much for it, because when I watched The Clone Wars, or when I watched watched The Clone Wars as a kid, rather, um, and then when I rewatched it as an adult, I really never cared that much about the clones. Um, I still liked their storylines. I liked how they were so interworked with the Jedi that the Jedi were able to let them feel as though they weren't just a number, just a military clone. They gave them all their own personalities, their own nicknames, you know, Fives, Echo, Rex, all these different, you know, nicknames that they had. And it was still really sad whenever you follow the story of the clones, but you were still sad when they died. It wasn't like you followed the story of the clones, but then when they died, you were still like, oh man, like, dang, I'm sad. I like that character. And I feel like the Clone Wars and Dave Filoni really do a great perspective of this when they started all the way back on their first episode when it was Yoda talking with the clones and they're just like, he's like, remove your helmets. And our clones are like, but we all look the same and we're all pretty much the same person. We don't really have much personality. And Yoda's like, no, no. The Force is different. The Force is within all of you, and through you, the Force is different, which makes all of you different. And I thought that was just really amazing. But nonetheless, when the Bad Batch Season 1 came out, I watched, like, the first, like, hour-long season premiere. That was really cool. Um, But then I just never picked back up with it. And I rewatched it, and I I did rather like it. I thought it was good. Um... And then the more I thought about it, and the more I watched season two, I like was like, oh, wow, no, like this is good. Especially the ending of season one where they kind of just blow up Kamino because it's, it's so good. And this is why Star Wars fans just right now, I know there's a lot of going back and forth with the different TV shows that they've produced, but anything basically done in animation style by Dave Filoni is just so magnificently done. And what I mean by that is... It's such a perfect bridge between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope. Because we've never gotten the clone's perspective. Alright, we have all these different ways about showing how the Grand Army of the... Not the Grand Army of the Republic, the Empire, just rises to power, takes over the galaxy. We've seen it from the Jedi's point of view. Now we've seen it from Kenobi, we got that little gap. Um, The Solo movie, we've seen Rogue One. Like, we've seen different aspects, but The Bad Batch Season 2 does a perfect, perfect job of, all right, this is right after Order 66. This is throughout the Purge. Like, this is where Clone Force 99, who we kind of fell in love with when they first got introduced in The Clone Wars, this is where they kind of take off and do their own thing. And overall, it just made me... There was moments there where I was just like, wow, this is really an animated TV show that is bringing out so much raw emotion in me. 
because it's the story of like, well, the Bad Batch all, all were, you know, not typical clones from the get-go. They still had inhibitor chips, but they weren't really a part of all that. They didn't follow Order 66. And it was just seeing their story was amazing. Omega is still really damn annoying to me for whatever reason. I just don't like her voice <laughs> in the actual series itself. I mean, there are times where I'm like, oh, Omega. But then it's just like sometimes she's just like really whiny and annoying. Like, oh, my God, Rekka, Rekka, wait up for me. And I'm just like, stop it. <laughs> um... I don't know why, but I feel like the way she pronounces some of their names, it's like, it gives her personality, but it's also like, ah, sometimes it's just annoying. But it's just interesting to kind of watch their story and kind of follow them through the backlash of Order 66 and the decommissioning of the clones. And Season 2 captures a perfect light of that because, first of all, in Season 1, it was just crazy to see Camino fall because it was always one of those things where it was really prominent in the movies. It always had like a major point in Star Wars. It was like, oh my god, Camino, it's where the clones are made, blah, blah, blah. Um, but however, it gets destroyed, but season two really tackled the individual lives of all the clones. And I really want to talk about Crosshair because his arc was amazing what they did with the character, where he was so just like, you know, good soldiers follow orders, like, I am by the book, I don't care, the empire will rise, we are a powerful military, and I am the best of the best. And we see him slowly progress and realize, along with, you know, shout-outs from Commander Cody, that was really nice to see, I really want to catch up with him, see what he's been doing, Rex dropped in for a little bit, uh, because we know there's a lot of rumors that he survives basically up until Return of the Jedi, maybe after that. Um, Rebels, Star Wars Rebels kind of, you know, catches up on that a little bit to see what Rex has been doing in the meantime. But it's just so interesting to see Crosshair kind of go through this, like, all hail the Empire to slowly realize that the Empire doesn't give a shit about the clones. And... It gets emotional because it's like you get attached to these characters because you get introduced to them in the Clone Wars and then you get Bad Batch Season 1 where they're all kind of together but then one of them goes rogue and you're like mad at them for going rogue because everyone's friends and you see how hurt everyone is. It's just, it's beautiful storytelling to be done in 30 minute increments. Now that's not to say that the Bad Batch Season 2 has been perfect. There have been plenty of filler episodes where I just sat there watching like, okay, this is cool, I guess, like... Yay! Where it's just like, oh, they go on another mission for Sid. Or the entire episode of Pabu. Like, I did not like that at all. Like, I understand the entire overall story effect that it did. It's just sometimes, for Disney Plus shows especially, filler episodes make me a little angry. Because it's like, wow, I waited a whole week, and now I'm just going to get to watch the Bad Batch tool around on this deserted island. With like, oh, they faced an earthquake, or whatever the heck it was that they faced. Like, that's it? So, you know what I'm saying? But, nonetheless, it was still very emotional, um, especially the crosshair arc to where he, you know, betrays his fellow officer, shoots him dead because he won't help the clone, when the officer is kind of like, you're just clones, you're expendable. So, it kind of circles back to that point where they started off in the Clone Wars to where it's like, you know, the Republic was like, no, these are clones, they have feelings, like, they can develop into their own per people. Look at the original donor, Jango Fett, his son Boba. Like, they can be their own persons. 
and it's trickling back down to the Empire, just has full control, and from the get-go, they always wanted the clones to be expendable. It was the, you know, sort of passion of the Jedi that really made the clones become their own people. And it's kind of trying to see what clones can escape, what clones will make it back to the promised land. Um, the finale was really, really well done. It was really well done for a multitude of reasons. First, we have just the Bad Batch banding together, and they're like, we're going to get this guy. We're going to find Crosshair. We're going to make it right. And then we see their their meeting where we have Grand Moff, Grand Moff Tarkin, and we also have Director Krennic. And they mention Product Stardust, which is really, really cool. The reason that that is so cool is because, for those of you that don't know, Project Stardust is what they refer to in Rogue One, which is the plans to build the Death Star. That is Project Stardust. Um, so the fact that they're bringing it into animation, even when we saw those little teasers all the way back in Episode 2, um, Attack of the Clones, it is really awesome to see that all kind of you know coming to fruition. And it's just like, I don't know, I like when they add little tidbits to tie together. Because they've got to the room, and I was like, well, obviously that's Tarkin. But then I was like, the guy in the white, is that is that Director Krennic? And that would be awesome, which it was. Um, the Mad Scientist is really creepy. Um, but another big thing that I feel like is not getting talked about enough, and what's it's it's I have a love-hate relationship with this, and this also ties into The Mandalorian and what they're doing, although I feel like The Mandalorian with what they're doing recently in these episodes has a chance to kind of break away from this. But The Bad Batch and Mandalorian, for the moment, are focusing on setting you up for the sequels. I don't know if we've realized this, but through the first two seasons, you know, Moff Gideon, everyone is so focused on Grogu. They want Grogu's metachlorians so that they can learn to clone him. They have the best cloners in the galaxy and those that are left over from the uh, Kamino days to try and clone Grogu. Gee, I wonder why they're trying to cl clone Grogu. Somehow, Palpatine returned. They're trying to make more clones of Palpatine. Palpatine was trying to find the right kind of thing to do to be able to clone himself to live forever. Now, what I like about this is that it really shows you how early the Emperor was doing all of this. My guess is after his fight with Mace Windu, he kind of realized, oh shit, I didn't expect that to happen. I'm really, really old now and like gonna probably die sooner than I would have liked. Because, I mean, if you think about it logistically, before that fight with Miss Window, he was probably like, what? I know the whole Star Wars metachlorian count age works weirdly, but let's just say for the sake of argument that he was like regular adult years. You could probably say that he was like early 40s, maybe. But then after that fight with Mace Windu, it looked like he was maybe about like 65, 70. So... I know Star Wars timeline works completely differently, but just to put it down into digestible bites, that way would be like, oh, he's already 70. He probably has like, what, 20 more years to live? So I know that's a little skewed, but let's just say for the sake of argument that instead of like our human typical age of like dying at like 85, 90, maybe in the Star Wars world, it's like 110. So he would still only have like 30, 40 years left to live. So it see we see all of the effects that he's trying to pull by wanting to clone Omega because I believe she probably is very similar to Boba Fett in the sort that she was probably a, an original clone that was never messed with to be accelerated because Nalase wanted a type of daughter. So I really like that aspect of it. But 
It was nice kind of following everything. Um, spoilers ahead because I now will be talking a little bit more in-depth about the finale. Um, the first part was amazing. We got that little mission. Saw Guerrera can just shove it right up his ass. All right. I was kind of surprised to be like, oh, wow, it's Saw Gerrera because I play the Jedi Fallen Order video game. So I saw him there. You see him in Rebels. You're like, oh, cool. This is Saw Gerrera. Uh, you know, in Rogue One, he was kind of always like that large rebel to where he still did his own thing, but he was always a part of the rebellion type thing. Um, no, after this, I'm so glad that he died in Rogue One the way that he did. I really need to watch Rogue One, but uh, I saw it on a TikTok comment. He can just suck a fat one, honestly, because the fact that he is the reason that Tech died, I'll, ne I'll never forgive him. I actually literally almost cried. Like I was tearing up watching that scene. Because this whole season, we have spent so much time getting emotionally attached to tech as we are the rest of the Bad Batch. And it just, it was wild to see, like, us get so quickly attached to him. They gave him so many good episodes of character development. He even found himself a little girl, a little girlfriend. And then, no, because Saw Gerrera wanted to stick it to the Empire. As if Grand Moff Talkin didn't already have a backup plan you see him whip out that bunker so fast everybody else was ready to just dipped back to their ships and grand mob was just like whoa 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 hold on sit down we're fine he didn't even do what he was there for like bro come on but although it was very selfless of tech to risk himself for the entire Bad Batch. The way that the Bad Batch series is going and the fact that the scientist found Tex goggles leads me to believe that he's not actually dead. Um, that could just be the denial talking, but I mean, hey, it's Clone Force 99. It was, it was just very beautifully done where he just told him he was like, Plan 99. I'm not sure 100% what Plan 99 is. I'll probably have to go back and look it up, but... Um, yeah, the fact that he was just like, Plan 99, and he's like, no, you have to follow orders. And he's just like, oh, when have we ever followed orders? And then he just does it, and ah, oh, so sad. It's so sad. But the finale was amazing, and then I knew, we all knew what was going to happen, Sid turning them over to the Empire. And that whole scene was just emotional because it's like, wow, the Bad Batch, like, the people that are fighting for the clones, like, this is the last little insurrection of clones trying to liberate the rest of the clone troopers that are still around or that have been decommissioned and just left to basically die. This is the last little, ironically, batch of clones that are still fighting. And just to kind of, on a very, very small scale, it gave me that uh, Avengers Infinity War feeling to where it's like, oh... Like, the, the Bad Batch just lost everything. They got captured by the Mad Scientist. Omega found Crosshair. But they leave us on an amazing cliffhanger, which is like, ah, this is terrible. Um, Omega has a sister now, which is wild. It's just an older version of her. She's finally back with Nala Say. Just that whole ending of Bad Batch, it's like, it's stuff like that. Where I, I go from being like, yeah, the Bad Batch is all right. I really don't care about the clones to like, oh, now I'm almost crying because a clone died. So like that's the kind of effect that the Bad Batch has kind of had on me. Um, and I really overall enjoy it. I mean, and I don't have any theories relatively for this. Um, I feel obviously there's going to be a season three. Um, they're going to continue the story, but I feel like season three will be the finale. 
I feel like maybe one more member is going to die. Might be Omega's sister. I'm not sure. Uh, or maybe no members die, and we kind of see the Bad Batch right off into the sunset on Pabu. But I feel like the third season will be them getting Crosshair back, them banding back together, either taking out the scientist and escaping, or just escaping. And then the rest of season three will then be like, we're on the run from the Empire, and they'll have like probably one final battle, and then they'll all escape to Pabu. And then they'll just start bringing clone refugees, if you will, uh, back to Pabu to kind of just live their lives. And I feel like that is how season three will end. Everybody's just on that island. They're helping rebuild. And the clones live happily ever after. Because I need a happy ending for the clones that are remaining. Because it's like, it, it's going to be a very emotional season. Because ending that will basically just be closing that little book on the clones that we have started with from season one of the Clone Wars, like, just all the clones that we've met and kind of just closing that book and giving them their happy ever after. I don't think we'll have to wait very long for season three. I have a feeling their Star Wars Celebration is coming up, and I think, honestly, like, a week or two. Um, so I'm assuming that at Star Wars Celebration they might announce it. Um, by waiting long, I mean, we won't have to wait long for the announcement, being that it'll be at... Uh, Star Wars Celebration, but it might not come out until next year or 2025. Um, so we'll see what happens with that. But let us transition over to the Mandalorian, who this season has been on the ups and the downs. So the first two episodes of the season, I really, really enjoyed. You were going from Mando was just like, all right, this season I am set on being redeemed, damn it. I am tired of it. Um, I will save, I will save the very in-depth review of, like, every episode for probably next week's podcast because there's going to be more building blocks and Mando's going to be the only thing that is kind of going on. But I just want to give a brushed overview of what we have had so far. First two episodes is Mando, like, wanting to be redeemed. Everybody, he's seeing Mandalore. He finally went back to Mandalore and was like, guys, this was just a hoax by the Empire. It's actually, like, completely breathable. It's just infested with all of these, like, weird-ass creatures. Uh, to where's episode three was a big filler episode, but I feel like that will have more say in it, which is what we saw this week. Um, and then we see Grogu seeing the Pergils in the hyperspace, which is absurd. Um... And then episode four, we have them saving his kid, Paz Vizsla's kid. And that's kind of having us all caught up for right now. Um, like I said, time restraints. I'm just going to focus on yesterday's episode. Um, I'm not, uh, but next week, I will be going in-depth on basically every episode, my thoughts, my initial reactions, and stuff like that. But yesterday's episode was fantastic, absolutely amazing. I am so glad for so many reasons. So first of all, we, you know, have all that stuff going down with the pirates. That's cool. But basically, what I the key takeaways from this uh, episode, the first one was, oh my God, they put Zeb in live action. They put Zeb in live action. When I saw that, I shrieked. It was so good. So for those of you that are fans of Rebels, you will obviously know how amazing that is. If you didn't watch Rebels or you didn't know who Rebels were, you were probably just like, oh, cool, that's some ugly creature. Or when people are like, oh, my God, that's Zeb. You're like, who? 
the fact that they put him in live action, it they did good. This is from the same company that screwed up the Grand Inquisitor and the Fifth Brother, as well as made Cad Bane look a little weird. But they nailed Zeb. Same voice actor coming back. Zeb is 100% CGI, which is absolutely phenomenal. He looked amazing in live action. Looked a little bit older. I was kind of like, oh my gosh, like, what have you been up to? Um, so clearly he has left his home planet of the, I believe it was called the Linsara, but I might not be 100% accurate on that. But he left his home planet, which is where we see him go at the end of Rebels, um, and he is now fighting for the Rebellion. He is, I believe it looked like he was a rebel pilot of some sort, which is so amazing. Um, that character development, I can't wait to catch up more with him. But from the Purgles to... Zeb getting seen in that one little part to, I don't know, maybe the ending of the episode where they say, oh my God, this is Moff Gideon's transport. Someone broke him out. I don't see Moff Gideon's body. I just see the body of all the pilots. Is that Beskar alloy? (gasps) There's a lot of theories going around right now. Um, The two main ones that I feel like are the most viable based on rumors that I have heard and just logical thinking, all right? For those of you that have not seen Rebels, now is your time. I am so serious. If you have not watched Star Wars Rebels, now is your time. Go back, watch the entire series. I might do a special after the end of The Mandalorian, like a a special on the podcast where it's almost like an hour-long episode and I just recap all of Rebels because there is so so much to go over. You just need to watch it. Because if you do not watch Rebels, not only have you missed the two exciting cameos that we've seen this season in the Girls and in seeing Zeb, for the Ahsoka show, you will be so absolutely lost. Like, that's just flat-out honesty. Like, you will be so lost because I'm what I'm gathering is the Ahsoka show is literally just going to be a live-action version of Rebels Season 7. So, I mean, we're going to see Ahsoka in her own light. It's going to be her show, but you get the point. So, if you have not watched Rebels or you're not super familiar with it, between now and the fall of this year, watch Rebels. Even if you have to skip some episodes. Like, I'm sure there are episode guides there that's like, these are the most important episodes that you need to watch. You don't have to watch it, like, season one through, I think there's six seasons, maybe. You don't have to watch absolutely all of them. I mean, it helps with the emotional attachment side of things, but you don't have to watch it. But I digress. Seeing Zeb was absolutely amazing. My theory, my theory is that, my first theory is that somehow Fen Rao got a hold of the transport. I, I know we left him in Rebels in like a good form, but maybe something happened. Maybe something turned him. Maybe all of this news of the Mandalorian or I don't know. Maybe something turned him. Um, I don't know what he wants with Moff Gideon. But Fenral might be the, the person that took him. Uh, because if you remember, at the end of Rebels, there was really no more like, okay, this is the Death Watch. These are the Mandalorians that still serve the Emperor. Like, they all kind of banded together. Sabine was the one that banded them together. So, and I, I probably will have to watch the last couple episodes of Rebels just to refresh, you know, like, hey, where the hell are all the Mandalorians? Like, who's still alive? Stuff like that. But my main theory 
is what I'm hoping for, is that the Beskar alloy that was left behind is actually from Sabine Wren, who broke in, stole Moff Gideon because of high, how high up and kind of almost close to the Emperor that Moff Gideon was. She broke in, killed everybody, took Moff Gideon, because you know why? Her and Ahsoka teamed up at the end of the Rebels and said, hey, let's go find him. They are looking for Grand Admiral Thrawn. When we saw Ahsoka in Mandalorian, when she appeared, I believe it was in Season 2, when she was fighting that one chick with the Beskar staff, and she beat her, and she was like, swords up against her face, she was like, now take me to your leader. Where is Grand Admiral Thrawn? She probably was like, listen, I don't know where Grand Admiral Thrawn is, but I know somebody that knows where he is. His name is Moff Gideon. And it looks like Luke Skywalker just whooped his ass. So you're going to have to, you know, get him from there. I'm, so I'm assuming that Sabine Wren, obviously in working with Ahsoka, broke out Moff Gideon to try and get him back to Ahsoka so that she could interrogate him. Now, how was this going to all play out? Well, I believe we have three more episodes left of The Mandalorian. They could be at various different runtimes. Bo-Katan, so said the armor, it is the is the person that will unite Mandalorian. When she says she's going to unite both worlds, I don't know what the hell she means by that. I think I'm guessing she means she's going to unite the people that are for the creed, like live and die by the creed, and then just your average everyday Mandalorians like Sabine, like Fen, who are like I'm the Mandalorian, but I'm also a person. Like I'll take off my helmet, like I'll interact with you, I have feelings, emotions, like look at me. Like so I feel like she's going to be the one to merge them. And when she said, go out and hunt down, you know, remaining Mandalorians, I would not be surprised if all of next episode is her kind of finding Fen Rao or finding Sabine and then accordingly finding all of the other missing Mandalorians. I don't think she's going to, like, go to, like, eight different planets and find all these different Mandalorians. I think they're mostly all staying in one to two, maybe three groups. And that next episode, Bo-Katan is going to go find them all. And then the next episode after that, they're going to try and investigate more into what's happening. And then I feel like the cliffhanger for, like, the ending of Mandalorian Season 3, because it's already been confirmed that we have a Season 4 on the way, I feel like the ending of uh, Season 3 of The Mandalorian will bleed into Ahsoka, the Ahsoka show. So that's my baseline prediction is that by uniting both worlds, Bo-Katan is going to go after Sabine, go after Fen Rao because she has worked closely with them in the past. She knows what they're all about and maybe somewhere out there she is hoping she can find Ahsoka um, because they were good friends all the way back to the Clone Wars and I would love to see them meet if they haven't already, which I don't think they have um, which would be absolutely amazing. So I think that's going to be my, like, main prediction. I really loved the ending of The Mandalorian. I also loved how the episode made all of The Mandalorians so badass again. Like, they were no longer hiding in the shadows. They're like, you know what? We're fucking, we're Mandalorians. Let's go kick some ass. I really, really liked that. Um, I liked how Paz Vizsla, who's always been kind of a hater, was like, no, Din Djarin makes a point. Let's go take back what is rightfully ours. And it was kind of a nice throwback to see the Mac on Navarro and the armorer back in her little, you know, place. So I believe she 
thinks since Bo-Katan saw the Mythosaur that she is ready to unite everyone and then bring them back to Mandalore. So that could also be another big point in one of these next three episodes is that they finally, all of the Mandalorians, go back to Mandalore. So that's my running theory. That's about all I have for today. I really hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Make sure to you know, follow up on all my other episodes, give this podcast a follow, rate it if you could. Um, Let me know on my Instagram, the.marvelgalaxy, how you guys have been enjoying the show. And hey, if you know a friend that loves Marvel or Star Wars, send them on over my way. 